0: Welcome to the Tally Room Podcast, I'm Ben Rowey. In today's episode, we'll be revisiting this year's Papua New Guinea election. I'm joined today by Michael Kabuni, a PhD candidate at the Department of Pacific Affairs at the Australian National University. Hello, Michael. Hello, Ben. It's been about three months since the election. Uh, We did a podcast a few months ago uh, in the lead up to the election. Um, Most of the results are now in uh, and a new government has been formed. James Marape was re-elected as PNG's prime minister. And that came after an election. which saw his party win almost a third of the seats, which is the best result for a single party in a PNG election since 1982. You know, Papua New Guinea's elections in the past have been marred by violence, uh, by difficulty with, um, you know, election legitimacy, issues like that. How does the 2022 election rate in terms of its success, in terms of limiting violence and ensuring like a fair election result?
1: It's it's among the worst elections uh, ever conducted in PNG. So some are suggesting it's it's up there with 2012, uh, 2002, uh, 2007, 2012 and 17. So it's getting worse uh, every every election period, and this is definitely one of the worst elections so far
0: hmm When we did the last podcast, there was a bit of a mention about violence that was happening. And I saw news reports about murders and other violence that went on. But uh, now, now that we're a few months out, it seems that that's not just anecdotes. Like, as a trend, those sort of issues became worse?
1: Yeah. UN estimates that about uh, 14,000 people are internally displaced uh, in the islands and related to election violence the media reports that there are about 50 people uh died uh, in violence related to election violence but i think it's underreported uh, the numbers higher than that in
0: 2002 there was some there was some failed election results but were all the elections actually conducted successfully in the end we've got an mp for every seat
1: yeah well if they followed the rules we would have had Failed elections in some seats. The electoral commission used what the, what the electoral commission calls uh, special circumstances to declare seats uh, that were supposed to be failed elections. So, for instance, in three seats, the election commission declared uh, the three MPs who were leading the leading the race uh, when the uh, polling booth, uh, sorry, counting rooms were destroyed and the ballot. Uh, papers were burned. so the electoral commission went ahead and declared uh three of these mps uh these were failed elections they're supposed to be uh, re-election
0: yeah so so that that's pretty serious that's beyond just a few issues of ballots being stuffed or whatever, like the 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 counting was disrupted and and ballot papers were burnt. So that's that's pretty substantial uh, issues there. Um, and I noticed as well that like it's a bit hard to actually get totals on the total number of votes cast. We know who's won the seats, but in some places the vote count doesn't seem to have really properly concluded. So were the problems particularly focused in some parts of the country, or was it kind of all over the place?
1: There were problems in almost every electorate, uh, but, you know, as, as far as magnitude of violence and disruption goes, uh, you could say the island's region uh, was the worst. That's where the most deaths, are. the New Guinea island regions, uh, like Rabaul and Bougainville and, and the Momase region uh, and the southern region were relatively peaceful.
0: Papua New Guinea's political system, it has um, single-member electorates, um, a number of new ones were created at this election. Uh, was there any particular information we've gathered about how those new electorates performed? Like, Because the Electoral Commission didn't have a lot of time to implement the creation of those seven new seats.
1: I was in one of the electorates that were newly created. I mean, there were issues, uh, but it's the same as those existing electorates. So... Uh, You know, there was no, uh,
0: it didn't differentiate these
1: newly created electorates from the existing ones.
0: That's good. You'd have to call that a success for that small change after decades of keeping the same seats. There are a lot of parties that exist in PNG, but as we've talked about before, they're not particularly ideological. I don't think there's much, well, in the past at least, there didn't seem to be a huge amount of evidence that That was what was motivating voters to vote for a candidate because they belong to a party. And generally, a lot of parties get elected to parliament and traditionally quite a few independents. But one of the things I've noticed in this election is James Marape's party, which is Pangu, um, won 39 seats, which is about a third of the parliament. And that's the most seats for a single party since 1982. Uh, meanwhile, the People's National Congress, which is the former Prime Minister Paul O'Neill's party, they did go backwards from twenty-nine to seventeen, but it's the biggest result for the second-largest party since the nineteen-eighties too. So between those two parties, quite a large share of the parliament is between those two parties. You know, so uh, that that was an interesting change. Um, What's going on there? Is there is there a bit of a trend? That are these parties getting more effective at running their campaigns? Are, you know, are there voters out there who are saying, I want to vote for the Marape candidate or the O'Neill candidate? Is any of that happening?
1: Well, it's too early to tell. Uh, one of the things to remember about the current MPs in Bangu Party is that no MP has been with that party for more than five years. All they have joined since uh, May 2019. And thing to remember is that uh, the MPs who won under Pangu Party could have won under, under PNC or any party or even as independent they are popular MPs like if you want to use the term so I don't think it's Pangu because of the association with Pangu Party uh, it's because these MPs were popular and they could have won under any political party
0: So if if there is a success for these parties particularly Pangu it's Recruiting the right candidate to are probably going to win anyway, right? And bringing them into yeah, the party.
1: Yeah, that's very right. This these MPs, especially the incumbent MPs, uh, who were members of other political party. Remember, by May 2019, April 2019, pangu Party had only one MP, which means the rest of the MPs that incumbent MPs that went into 2022 elections and won were members of other political parties, and they could have won under their, you know, previous political parties. So it's not really a success per se. Uh, it's success that can be attributed to the individual MPs and not Pangu uh, parties. Pangu party uh, associated itself with popular MPs, and that's how they party got these numbers. The third thing is... If the elections were conducted the way it's supposed to be conducted. Uh, I don't think most of these MPs would have won. Uh, you could say this is a result of chaos. Uh, and and you got MPs, you know, it could have gone either way, they could have lost, but they won anyway. And Ted is, it, it, it may be just a chance, a random chance that we see uh, Party winning the most. And For us to say, you know, there is this development where parties are becoming popular, we have to wait for maybe two to three or four elections. To see a pattern to be able to say that it could be just a fluctuation uh, might drop in 2027.
0: Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that there's not much evidence that voters are changing their behaviour to vote for parties. But it will be interesting to see, is there a reason that MPs are more likely to join a big party rather than set up their own small party, right? Like there's less independence and less kind of one MP, like parties that have a single MP in parliament. Those groups have shrunk. Um, And so maybe it's not about the voters, but it's about the kinds of people who might get elected making different decisions about who they affiliate with. But it will be interesting to see if those affiliations continue, right? Because as you said, there's a lot of change that happens between parties over time. Um, and probably a lot of these people won't be in Pangu at the next election.
1: They won't be with Pangu after 18 months when the grace period is over and, you know, there's no confidence. So there's going to be a lot of changes.
0: So then that brings me to the next stage, which is the... Formation of a government, because while there might be a title of leader of the opposition in Papua New Guinea, you don't have the same opposition government structure where there's kind of an expectation that you're loyal to one side or the other, and then you take power, right? Usually governments are oversized. They cover a large share of the parliament. And then if there's a change of government, it involves quite a large chunk of the old government often breaking away and switching sides. Paul O'Neill had presented himself pretty clearly as the alternative person that was the like the other person, the figurehead. I don't know how much that was the way that things were covered in the media about Marape and O'Neill, but he definitely presented himself that way, uh, got 17 MPs in his party.
1: Since uh, 2007 election, we've been following this local organic London trajectory of political parties and candidates. And what this law does, one of the provisions is that party with the highest number of MPs elected uh, following a national election is invited to form the government, so they're given preference over any other party. And I know media is reporting that Marape was elected unopposed, but that's not really correct. Legally, Marape is the only candidate uh, following an election, 2022 election, because Party had the highest number of MPs. So it wasn't unopposed in a sense that there were no other alternative. Uh, it was know, if you want to use unopposed, it's because by law only only Marapi has to be uh, the candidate. Now if Marapi is not if the Marapi, who is you know the leader of the party with a number of MPs elected, cannot get half more than half the MPs to form the government, only then you open up, you know, the nomination for competing uh, individuals. So it's really not unopposed, you know, it's just following what the law says.
0: So the way that the PNG law works, the leader of the biggest party gets the first chance, effectively, to form government, right? They get a vote in parliament. If they're approved, they're the prime minister. But if they, if they fail to win that vote, then the floor is open to other people. So it's so it's not really a question of having a contested election for Prime Minister. Marape was kind of given the first shot and was successful in that.
1: That's right. Uh and it's different for vote of no confidence, which is what, you know, is that people think about when it when they talk about unopposed, you know, election. Uh in a vote of no confidence there is no preference given to any political party. You can have multiple uh, nominations for a position of the prime minister. And uh, yeah, people seem to be confusing the vote of no confidence and election of the prime minister following a national election, which is two different things.
0: Was the issue more that it was a unanimous vote or maybe he got every party to vote for him or something? Was there something like that that happened?
1: Yeah, I think that was the case unanimous vote almost everyone that was on the floor of parliament voted for him
0: but that does not mean that he's in a solid position for the whole term right both because parties don't necessarily hold together but also there is definitely an expectation that people might come along and say I'd like a shot and the law in PNG limits when you can have no confidence votes Uh, I believe to 18 months after the election there can't be one before that but when that time comes it kind of Opens up hunting season, right? That there may be someone in his government who says, oh, "I'm going to take a shot and form some kind of alternative government and bring down Marape.
1: Yeah, that's that's pretty much the case. Whenever end of the Great Spirit ends, which is 18 months, there's always you know some form of instability. Someone is not satisfied with a coalition uh, and breaks away and joins the opposition. So yeah, we're expecting that after. The eighteen months is over. Uh, the coalition might not all together.
0: Is there any particular trends that you've noticed out of this election that you find the most interesting going forward?
1: The high number of incumbents, you know, being elected. I think it's the highest.
0: Yeah, over sixty percent. Yeah, that's that's
1: interesting. Uh, but like I said, we we have to uh, perhaps wait for maybe second, third, or fourth election to see whether that pattern can be sustained. Uh, it's very interesting uh, result, uh, but it could be because of many things. It could be, you know, just random chance that we've seen this. Uh, yeah, so there are many, you know, things like Pangu winning most of the seats. Uh, that's that's another thing we haven't seen in a long while. But yeah, we have to wait for 2027 and 2032 to see whether this is
0: really changing in electoral behaviour. Okay, great. So that's about it for this episode of The Tally Room Podcast. Thank you, Michael, for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with uh, a series of episodes about the Victorian state elections, so stay tuned for that. You can find this podcast on your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, please consider rating or reviewing us on iTunes. You can follow The Tally Room on Twitter at The Tally Room or like us on Facebook. This podcast is made possible thanks to the generous support of our donors on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com slash tallyroom. We'll be rolling out ads on the Tallyroom podcast soon. Please let me know if you hear any ads that aren't appropriate. I'll be looking at making an ad-free version for Patreon donors soon. Information about this podcast is available at tallyroom.com.au and you can email questions or feedback to the tallyroom at gmail.com. Thanks to Chris for writing the music you hear in this episode. Once again, thanks for listening.